Okay, my name is Tanisha, and I'm going to read the Bible for us today. We're reading from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. If you're reading from the Blue Bibles, it's on page 1013, otherwise it's on the screen. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come... Follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you here today. Do have your Bible open to Mark 10. Helpful to keep that. Talk outline is also there. I want to do a quiz with you first. As we begin, we've almost finished Mark. We jumped around the last few weeks, but we've almost finished big news of Mark's gospel. And today is big news about wealth. And I want you to um, do a quiz with me just to begin. First of all, what were the top three things Jesus taught most on in the gospels? These are the top three. What order would you put them in, do you think, to make the top three? That's not the right order. What would you say they are? Hell, wealth, or the kingdom of God? What are the top three, do you think, that Jesus taught on? Any takers for number one? Kingdom of God. That's, that's great, yes. Kingdom of God. Most parables, most teaching is about the kingdom of God in some way. What about number two? Hell or wealth? Hell. He did talk a lot about it. That's right, yeah. But that came third. Wealth is the second one. Kingdom of God, wealth. That could be money, that could be possessions, things, stuff, um, under that category. And then third is hell and fourth is heaven. Interesting, the Bible uh, talks about money and wealth as not a neutral thing. It speaks of it in two ways, like two sides of a coin that Meredith showed us here. One side is to see wealth as a gift from God, given to us by God, belonging to God and a way to further his kingdom and look after others. It's a tool. This vision holds wealth very loosely in our hearts and hands. 
The other side of the coin is like the young man today, and in some ways the disciples as well from our reading. Wealth can be an idol, it can be a trap. And given how much of our life is about money and wealth, you think about how often you'll see it on your newsfeed or when you hear the radio or the news, there'll be uh, inflation, you'll hear it this week, you'll hear interest rates this week, you'll hear food and house expenses. And when you go to work, your boss will tell you to cut the budget again because we have to save more money. And it will be very odd, given our world and the world of the Bible that Jesus inhabited and even the Old Testament, if Jesus did not occasionally, every now and then, want to have a conversation with you and me about wealth. And while we can't say everything in one moment, we can make good progress today in thinking well about God's vision for wealth. And the big idea today for this rich man that we will push into is, oh, there's the order, um, that wealth blinds us of our need for Jesus. Wealth blinds us of our need for Jesus. Big idea in Mark's gospel, week after week we've seen, is, is people being blind to who Jesus is, right? And why he's here and why he's come. And today, it's wealth is getting in the way of this rich man who's a real-life case study on what it can do. And as we have this conversation today for the next few minutes with Jesus, may you know that when Jesus looked at this man in verse 21, he looked at him with love in his eyes. And what he says to you today and how you feel as we walk through this, Jesus is coming from that same place of love as he speaks to you. Jesus wants to undo in us a love of wealth and greed that so often permeates our hearts. And he says this from a place of love. So keep that in your head. Let's look at uh, the sad, sad rich man first, and then we'll look at the astonished disciples uh, after that. So pretty simple breakdown of the verses. These verses come right after Jesus has spoken in verses 13 to 16 about childlike faith. That's what you need for eternal life. Not to be a child, but to have the simple faith and trust in him just like a child. And no sooner did Jesus say this, then in verse 17, a man ran up, kneels down in front of Jesus. This man assumes the position of someone low and humble, trying to look the part. Before he asks Jesus a really good question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This man thinks, as we'll see it more clearly, that his wealth can buy his security. And he butters Jesus up with some flattery like you do a client when you want to make a sale to them. And he reckons his business experience here and wealth have put him in a good position for an eternal investment. But Jesus won't have it. He deflects the audacity of this man by making him think about what he's actually saying. And then you hit that really odd verse, why do you call me good, Jesus said? No one is good except God alone. Now, you have to realize that in the context of Mark's gospel, Jesus is not saying he's not God or not good. We've seen over and over again, he is God and he is good. This is a are you sure question. Are you sure you know what you're saying about me? Because if you call me good, you're calling me God. And that's going to have a pretty big impact on what I say next. Are you sure you want me? To, are you sure, young rich man, of who I actually am? This good God gives a good life when you follow his good commands. 
Are you sure you're ready for that? And then Jesus lists five of the Ten Commands. And these are five all relating humans to humans. Murder, adultery, stealing, lying, honoring mum and dad. Now this man, according to those five, has been very good at them. He's the neighbor you want to have living next door and on your street. You want a street full of these guys because they're just, they're fantastic. And he declares it to Jesus. In fact, he doesn't just declare it. He affirms the absolute, absolute truthfulness in himself keeping these five. Teacher, he declared, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. And you get the impression at this point the man imagines the commands are like a ladder to climb, right? His question, his posture, his certainty indicate this. And what Jesus wants to do is not to let him see it as a ladder, but more of a mirror, showing that no one is good except God alone. Some wind in a few of the commands is not a problem. That's great. Jesus never says, oh, you've, you've failed a little bit when you were seven and you spoke back to mum or when you stole dad's you know, hammer from the shed. Do you remember that? Oh, he doesn't pick on him for that. But it's the five that Jesus didn't mention that are the issue. No other gods, no images of God, not misusing the name of God, not resting with God and under God on the Sabbath, and coveting. But then Jesus adds another command that's not in the ten, and he says defrauding. See, this man's goodness is tripping him up, and that's what Jesus wants him to see. What must this man do for eternal life? It has nothing to do with being good. Being nice does not get you into God's kingdom. People in Golden Grove are nice, and they have a good house, and they're kind to their kids and send them to a nice school, but they are not going into God's kingdom because nice is not the point. Nice people go to hell. Jesus tells him, he has a misplaced love. That's the issue. But he tells him from a place of love. Jesus looks at him with love, wanting to love him into his kingdom. And he does so by telling the man how to fall out of love with his wealth. And he says three things and gives him one new vision. Sell, give, gain and follow. Three things. Sell, give, follow. And one new vision of what you'll gain. See, here's what Jesus does with this. He says, if you sell without the giving, you're replacing the stuff with the cash. Haven't really achieved anything there, have we? But to give away loses the grip that money and things have on your heart. But this isn't just to have a minimalistic lifestyle either. It's with a view of a greater treasure, you see. This man's heart is so cloudy, he cannot imagine anything greater than earthly wealth. Moreover, the selling of stuff does not equal a heavenly treasure. It's not a transactional thing Jesus says. It's a vision thing. When greed grips our hearts, and when that lets go, we see clearly, we value the kingdom of God, and that Jesus is the greater treasure, which is why Jesus says, come and follow me. If you just have to sell your stuff, there's no need to follow Jesus. Don't follow wealth. Wealth can't give you life. Now that fits with Mark 1, 14 and 15, when Jesus says, coming to declare, repent 
and believe the good news. And for this man, he needed to turn away from his riches and wealth and goodness and believe the good news that Jesus is better and the greater treasure. Follow him. And all of us will be confronted with the call to repent and believe and follow. Every one of us has a hang-up to Jesus at some point. It could be an ideology. It could be a focus on wealth or the pressure of what people might think of us or our career prospects. And for this man, the thought of letting go of money was like facing a tropical cyclone in a glass house. It, it was just incomprehensible. And it wasn't good news. Because at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Suddenly, Jesus was not good news. Jesus didn't affirm him in his own truth. Jesus didn't tell him what he wanted to hear. Jesus was only good until it started to compromise his life. You see, the issue isn't wealth. It's what it does to your heart. One commentator said, it's earthly cushioning dulls the sense of the spiritual urgency. The earthly cushioning dulls the sense of the spiritual urgency. Because what someone does with their wealth is an indication of where their heart is, and God always cares about the heart first. After all, Jesus pushes in on money and wealth here, not because he wants more in the church bank account, but because he loves this man. Knowing that heaven and hell are at stake if he gets it wrong. Because your wealth can be a trip hazard to entering the kingdom of God. But this isn't just the story of a rich man outside God's kingdom, saddened at the thought of having to have a new love. This is a story of astonished disciples in the kingdom who still struggle with wealth. And this is where it gets really pointy. Jesus says to the disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. You see, the idol of wealth knows no amount, it lives in any account, and it feeds off anyone's heart. Even a Christian. Even a committed follower of Jesus who's had some big wins in the past. And the disciples are amazed. And Jesus says, children, how hard to enter the kingdom of God. See, back in 10, 13 and 16, Jesus says a childlike faith is needed when you come to him. And in a sea of chaos and uncertainty about your wealth, Jesus gently says, first of all, children to them, reminding them that positionally, God is your father and your security rests in him. Children, dear children, don't be deceived. A camel can go through the eye of a needle easier than a rich person into God's kingdom. And as a side, there's no such thing as a needle gate. That's a myth. This is talking of a real needle and a real camel. He's using hyperbole to make a shocking point. The smallest and the biggest object in Jerusalem fit better together than your wealth and your future hope with Jesus in that wealth. And the disciples got it because they were just even more amazed, right? Who could be saved? I mean, if I can only get to heaven by putting my Mazda CX-9 through my Frank Green drink bottle, it's not going to happen. That's the picture. Do that and Jesus says, you can come in. But you can't. Maybe some of you engineers are thinking, well, I could. I reckon I could 
burn it down to ash and push it through and it would, you know, you've missed the point, but good, luck, good, good on you. <laughs> Jesus wasn't waiting until 2023 before it made sense. Um, the point is that with man this is impossible, but not with God, all things are possible with God. God can do impossible things, like put camels through needles. The context is talking of salvation by grace alone, not wealth alone. Only by the work of God are you saved. Only by the wealth of Jesus being good enough to offer to God on your behalf is going to save you and get you along the way. Only seeing God as your greatest treasure and joy can break the idol of wealth and greed that is in us. And even after seeing that, it does not mean you won't struggle to keep seeing it. Like Peter. At this point, Peter reflects on the lucrative fishing business he gave up to follow Jesus, and so did the other disciples. Remember, back at the beginning of Mark, the fishermen were not poor, hard-done-by guys. They were very well off. Fishing in Galilee was a lucrative business, and, and Peter reflects on this, and he says, Oh, we, we've left everything to follow you. And you see the, the contrast with the rich man? Rather than walking away sad with lots, Peter's now sad because he gave up lots. Wealth is still a trip hazard, you see. And then Jesus not only calls them children, but he gives them some perspective and says, Truly, I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. You know, Jesus doesn't say, suck it up, Peter. What does he do? Truly, Peter, you're not suffering a deficit from following me. And truly, Peter and everyone here, this isn't just a future thing, as in, oh, one day you've got a great reward. Oh, sure. Jesus lays down seven things the disciples have left to follow him. We can summarize that with family and fields. The two areas of your life, work and family, that you will operate from most intimately and spend the most energy and time and thinking in. And it's good things. But the gospel comes to us and says they are not ultimate things. Jesus is showing his people that he provides for them from his kingdom storehouse, not theirs. And just notice the singular and plural of these words as Jesus says it. Give up mother, gain mothers. Leave home, gain, gain homes. The point isn't a like-for-like -like swap he's getting at. The point is a many more. It's about the breadth and the depth of relationships with God's people. Even if you painfully with persecution have to let go of a field or a home or a relationship for the sake of the kingdom of God. Because Jesus has come to set us free from a love of money and wealth that those things can hover over us. You know the story when Jesus, a man comes to Jesus too and he says, help me divide the estate with my brother? Jesus says, be, be careful here. Watch out. And so there's a caution here when it comes to wealth and things. Whatever love seems to, seems to cloud our greatest joy in him, that's what he's getting at. Think priorities and loves, not riches or poverty. That's the point. 
and it's an upside down way to think. Like the first to last, the last to first. The rich will get this life, only this life. They're first now, but later they'll be last. Whereas those in the kingdom of God will be first at the table sitting with King Jesus one day. Greater wealth than you've ever known, enjoying him. And that comes about because of the security that we have of an almighty father. The young man said, what must I do? Peter said, we've given it all up for you. Wealth, family, work, relationships, they matter to God. Yes, they should matter to you. However, Jesus lovingly wants us to hear, don't let them become an idol because they cannot save you. Yet, when God pushes you through the eye of a needle, doing the impossible, on the other side, you acknowledge you were created to live for him. And you look to him to provide for you in all those ways. You can be who you're supposed to be, do what you're designed to do, and love what you're supposed to love. Which means what we need is not a better budget. Though God in his wisdom tells us we should actually think about money and how we spend it. Jesus is not saying give more to the church, though we should think about what we love and give accordingly. Rather, each of us need to be rescued from wealth and greed by grace. By grace, you can stand fully shocked at what Jesus tells you to give up, but you'll also hear that God is the better treasure. By grace, when you see others getting and gaining and you're going without or going with little or going with less, you'll be reminded that in God's generosity, you belong to him and you can be content and thankful and generous with what you have not what you don't have. And by grace, when your heart wanders away, Jesus gently reminds you, dear child, of the divine love he has for you because money cannot love you back. And by grace, you have perspective to know that you belong to the age to come, not just here and now. Is God going to look after you? Yes. He's got all the provisions you need for life already sorted. Is God going to help undo your trust in wealth and the greed that's in your life? Yes. By giving you perspective on what's to come. Is God going to reorder your life when you follow him? Yes. Because it's impossible, as verse 27 says, for you to do that yourself. Let's let Jesus reorder our life and loves. After all, the way forward from today and into your week isn't to go home and give away your stuff. The disciples did, and they were in danger of being just like the rich man. To have or to not have isn't the question, it's the heart Jesus is getting at. And if, under God, you do need to give away your stuff to let greed's grip die, then under God you do that. But I think... The conversation Jesus wants to have with us is about a reordering of our priorities and perspective on wealth. And I think that is the conversation Jesus wants to have with us this week. And so, as you go into the week, if you're like Peter, looking at what others have and feel your heart struggling with what you don't have, May you reset that by reading Psalm 73 this week. If you feel like the rich man struggling 
to be content and the fight that wealth has on your heart and the greed that you feel and you reckon there's just a little bit of that rich man in me today, give yourself a heart reset by reading 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 10. And if under God you feel content, right now at least in your situation, you're thinking, I'm doing okay. I reckon I got this sorted with God at the moment. Well, keep your heart in that grace by reading Philippians 4, 10 to 13, rejoicing in God's kindness to you, and then Proverbs 30, 7 to 9 for that much-needed perspective so you wouldn't shift from there. And the point in all of that is to see Jesus as the greatest treasure. So let's let Jesus reorder our life and loves this week, as hard as that might be. Let me pray. Wonderful God, you are the creator and sustainer of life. You know us, you've given us life and breath, and in Jesus, you give us our greatest need fulfilled, salvation with you as our treasure forever in the age to come. And right now, as we struggle through life with the different loves that grip our heart, Jesus, would you help them to just let go so we can love you fully, share your vision for life, and be who we're supposed to be under you, satisfied, content in your kingdom with the security of our almighty Father. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.